Good morning. Uh, I'm glad you're here uh, this morning to join us on week three of our series, uh, Win, um, Listen, Learn, Live. And, and I want you to take a moment this morning um, and really think about what it means for you to win. Right now, in your life, where you're at, what does it look like for you to win? What does it look like? Is it, is it something where it's just a word of encouragement? Is it something to just get ahead financially? Is it is a win right now to just have peace in your family and, you know, just have the kids be nice to one another? What, what is a win for you right now? We all have something that gives us satisfaction or a, a sense of security, a, a sense of significance, a sense of accomplishment, um, a sense of peace, um, something that just makes us feel good that, that we've defined in our own life a, as a win, whether it's, you know, like that warm and fuzzy feeling, I feel good, um, so that, that's a win for me, that sense of peace, uh, maybe it's, you know, at a job, um, or maybe it's just some, some sense of relaxation. I, I can kick back, and, and that's, that's, my, that's my win. I can finally relax. We all have something, as, as we think in our own lives, that defines the win for us. But as Christians, in order for us to win, we must build our life on solid rock. So that when the storms of this like life come, our house will still be standing. And honestly, too many times, our win, what we've defined as win in our life, is built on sand rather than solid rock. From my basic understanding of architecture and, and, and whatever, you don't start building um, with, with the top brick. You start building with the foundation. You start with a plan. And the great vision of Christianity, the great model of Christianity, is that our vision, the picture of what the plan looks like, is that our life look like Christ. That the way that we live, in our relationships, in our workplace, in our families, that we demonstrate Christ-like character, that we be the hands and feet of Jesus, so to speak. Our picture of a winning life must look like living in the kingdom of God and being like Him. Last week, uh, we talked about two important concepts. As we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, as, as we listen to what the story of the sermon teaches us, as we learn about it, and as we try to live it, the two important concepts come down to the kingdom of God and they, that Jesus reshapes the end of wind. So the first definition of the kingdom is that the kingdom of God is the dominion where God's will is done by delivering the oppressed and the bringing of salvation. See, Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, that's his basic message. And in Mark, says that when Jesus presents the kingdom, when he preaches the kingdom, he says you're supposed to repent 
and believe in the good news of the kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is both a present reality inaugurated by Jesus and a future event that comes into existence. It's not a physical location as we think of it, but it's a dynamic action where God's will is being done. And Jesus preaches this will. He lives out this will. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he had to begin reshaping beliefs. He had to show his disciples the will so that their actions and their attitudes and their habits and their character would eventually be like his. Because Jesus models what he saw his Father in heaven doing. And so Jesus, the genius that he was, was reshaping beliefs to be on solid rock. And our beliefs and our worldview must be reshaped. Because Jesus reshapes who's in of when. The second concept that we discussed was that, that term blessed. And what it means to be blessed and what it means to, to be in and when and what that means. And the blessedness of the Beatitudes, the inness, is that as Jesus was there teaching, as he was sitting there instructing his disciples, as the crowds formed around him, Jesus could look out and touch people with his heart, his voice, and his hands. And he could say who and who was not blessed. Because see, he was in their midst. The active will of God was present in Jesus Christ. And the people who are blessed are those that have access to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the heavens where God's will is perfectly done in Jesus. So Jesus, sitting there on a mountainside, when his disciples come to him, he opens his mouth and begins to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of falsely things on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The people in that crowd that Jesus was describing were blessed because the God of the universe stepped out of heaven, came down to earth, and in despite of their condition, they could win because he was there. And my hope this morning is that whatever walk of life you, you come from, wh whether you 
fully embraced Jesus, whether you, you, you've prescribed to, to this stuff for a while, or whether you're, you're kind of skeptic or a not believer, I, I would say this morning that when we come in contact with Jesus, that we would walk amazed, walk away amazed, and really say, man, I, I want to follow a God like that. I want to follow a God who steps out of heaven, leaves his throne, and comes down to us and gives us access to an eternal reward in heaven. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who have broken hearts for brokenness. As Jesus looks out into the crowd, he sees people who are mourning. He sees people who are sad, the brokenhearted. There are people who are sad over because they're in exile. Because they're mourning that brokenness around them. They're mourning over the lawlessness that exists in Israel. They mourn over that the Messiah had yet to come in freedom. They mourn that the Messiah had not yet come to eradicate sin. These people are broken hearted. And the mourners, because they're in exile, they have a way of life about them. And it does not mean that they adapt or they accommodate or they're active or they're, they're, they're prone to apostasy. They didn't mourn and basically become like the culture around them. They mourned. And in response to that mourning, in response to the world around them, they were filled with grief, faithfulness, suffering, and hope. See, these mourners, they're grieved over their personal exile and Israel's exile because the temple had yet to really be restored. God's favor had yet to return to Israel. And they longed for this. They longed for the Messiah. They longed for to be redeemed. And they were sad that it hadn't happened yet. And they mourn over their physical situation and their spiritual situation. But what's amazing as they knew they served a God who was faithful to his people. And this morning, we serve that same God. These mourners, they mourned over the sin in their life. But they weren't filled with despair. They were consumed by hope. They mourned. They were sad. They were grieved. They were upset. But they were moved to repentance. This morning, the sadness that consumed them caused them to continually go back to God and focus on Him. So despite their situation, despite them, their circumstance, when they were sad, when they were grieved, they went back to God because they knew that's where they could establish a firm foundation. 
See, they, they were in exile, and the Romans were there and had taken control. And so, in a lot of cases, they would not feel like they were blessed. A win for them would have been many things. Reestablishment of the temple, Messiah to come. But they knew where to get the answers. They mourned and sought God. And they're blessed. These mourners are blessed because Jesus promises them in flesh that they will be comforted. They'll be comforted by Him because He is there and they will be comforted when they step into eternity, when they believe in Him. It's amazing as Jesus doesn't say when they're sad, when they're distraught, when, when they're moved, to tears, he doesn't say that they're, he's going to fix their situation. He doesn't say that he's going to make everything better. And he doesn't say he's going to remove their sadness as if it's a bad thing. No, he says they're going to be comforted. And that's good news. That if you're mourning here this morning, that if you're if, if you're consumed in sadness, that if you're distraught, you will be comforted. That's good news. That Jesus will bind up the brokenhearted. That he will comfort them in his midst who are in mourning, who are deeply saddened. And that he will also comfort us when we are moved God's going to satisfy the longings of their heart and he's going to satisfy the longings of our hearts when we're moved and we mourn about the brokenness and the sin around us Jesus one day will eradicate sin He's going to eradicate the reasons that mourning even exists. The things that we get sad over, the things that we get distraught over, He's going to remove them. He's going to free us from oppression. He's going to restore us. The Jews, for Jesus, that He was speaking to His disciples and those around Him, they had sinned against God. They had rebelled. And some took responsibility for the situation. And that's why their hearts were breaking. We are blessed. They are blessed. When the broken hearts of the broken hearted will be put back together. And we'll be made whole for eternity. We're blessed because of God's gracious response to our condition and our situation. That God moves towards us in our sadness, in our brokenness. That when we mourn for the brokenness of this world, that he does not leave us there, but he comforts us. And this is a foundational belief that we are blessed because Jesus has come. 
because the saving presence of God is available to us and it was available to them. It was in their midst. Jesus was in their midst. And the focus that Jesus brings, the perspective that he brings, it's not on their actions of mourning for the sake of mourning. But because they display a broken heartedness for the brokenness around them. And if we believe this to be true, that Jesus has moved towards us, that we have access to his saving presence, that that's available to us, that he reaches into our lives and frees us from oppression, then we have to live like it. And sadly, of those of us who are Christians that don't believe that we need to live like his saving presence is active in our lives, we need to repent of that. Because see, we're just, we're called to display Christ-like compassion in our lives. If the, the vision of Christianity is to be like Christ, one of Christ's characteristics is compassion for those who mourn. So we have to display that. We have to be representatives of God's kingdom, of His will in our life. And in order to do this, when we see people, when we come into contact with people, we have to believe that they're worth being comforted. We have to believe that they're worth something. We have to believe that God was sent to save them too. That his movement of salvation and freedom of oppression was meant for their life too. See, Jesus is sitting there and as he's teaching his disciples and as he shares this vision in the Beatitudes of who is and who is not blessed, he wants his disciples to put these words into practice. He wants them to do something because he wants their life to be built on solid rock and not on sand as he says in Matthew chapter 7. He wants them to be salt and light in the world. So if he doesn't want them to go out and start mourning for the sake of mourning, if he doesn't want them to go out and start being crybabies, to just go be sad and teared up for the sake of being sad and teared up, if that's not what we're supposed to put into practice, then there must be a broader principle. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching those in the crowd who have come to him. He wants them to move towards him. He wants them to reflect on the beliefs that they have had about people. Those assumptions and presuppositions and the biases that plague their life. He wants them to stop seeing people the way they have always seen people. But begin to see people the way the God in heaven God our Father sees them. He's teaching his disciples to move toward those who mourn by moving towards him. He's reshaping their beliefs and their mindset to be focused on him. And that that mindset focused on him and his kingdom and God's will is a vision worth having. It's a win 
worth having. And anything short of that is built on sand. Just like the poor in spirit, the first century Jew would have seen these mourners as lesser, that they deserved what was coming to them. But Jesus wants them to move towards those people on behalf of God, displaying his saving presence in the world. He wants his disciples to show that God is here and that God is near and that there is good news now. And when we begin to seek Jesus, when we begin to realize that he has moved into our life, that that he has freed us from our sin, that he is a God who loves us, that he is a God who passionately pursues us, our beliefs will be changed about others because we will begin to see them as someone who is worth being pursued. We will see people differently. We will mourn when there are situations worth mourning. We will be moved with compassion and empathy. And our attitude will no longer be of disgust towards people. And our actions will demonstrate love. And we do this enough, when we do this enough, in response to who God is and what he has done for us, sooner or later our habits and in our character will begin to look like Christ. If you think of that flow chart, maybe that we talked about last week, that our beliefs shape our thoughts and our feelings. Shape our attitudes. Shape our actions, which shape our habits, and our habits, the sum of our character. We have to believe something different about people. We have to believe that this vision that Christ has for us is worth having. We have to believe that we are called to display His saving presence in our world. Our hearts need to break over our own sin and the sin that exists in the church. Our heart needs to move. We need to believe that our sin in our own life and our sin in our church is worth mourning over. And the challenge is, is when I say that and I say we're, we're supposed to mourn, we're supposed to to really be distraught, to, to, to repent, to move away from our sin. Our immediate reaction is to look at the culture and blame the culture, to blame our government, to blame different things and mourn over our government, over culture, and mourn over that, but never mourn over our own sin. And our focus needs to be on Jesus. And that the closer we get to Jesus, the more we will begin to see the sin in our own lives. We will begin to see our depravity. 
and the amazing grace that has been shown to us through Jesus' saving presence. And we'll begin to mourn over the sin in our church. And as we see our own sin, we'll, we'll see the sin of our church in response to God saving us. And we have to mourn over the state of the church because the question we have to ask ourselves is does our church look different than the world? Does our church look different than the community? Because we're supposed to mourn. We're supposed to be distraught. We're supposed to be moved. If we look at our church, if we look at our lives, and we don't see anything different than the reflection of the world in our own life. And are we really moved by our own sin? Do we really mourn over that? Do we really see that as a problem? Or do we simply go on with our day-to-day lives, with the life of the church, and not really be moved by sin, and not moved towards repentance? The promise is that when we mourn, we will be comforted. Jesus said he's going to send us a comforter. He sent it in the Holy Spirit and a counselor. And when we seek Jesus, when we seek the Savior, when our hearts break because they're broken, we will be comforted through the Holy Spirit and we will also be comforted in eternity. And the Holy Spirit reminds us and enables us that we are supposed to be agents of God's saving presence in the world. That we have been marked, that we have been reconciled so that we can go and bind up the brokenhearted and we believe the brokenhearted are worth being made whole. And sometimes we don't do this, we don't act on behalf of God because we like our own sin too much. The fact that we like where we're at, we like the choices and the things that we're doing too much, that we focus on our win and our sin and feel that that's what building a life is after instead of God's will and Jesus' way for our life. And when we come into contact with Jesus and his word, we must be so moved so changed inwardly that it leads to an outward reality. That when we repent, if we haven't had these beliefs, that people are worth being sought after, that we have been saved by grace. And so we should carry that message to others. We should be so certain of that that it produces action. And we must respond We must enter into relationships with other people. Seeing God for who God sees them. Seeing them for who God sees them. Because see, there are people with broken hearts in the world. They're mourning for loss. They have pain that they've experienced. There's sadness and sorrow. And we're supposed to move towards them. Displaying 
God's saving presence in the world. One of the issues that we've talked a little bit about here at Centerpoint is this issue of slavery. The fact that there's 26 to 29 million slaves in the world. More than at any other point in history. And that's a, that's a sad statistic. That's, that's an incredible statistic. And are we moved by that? Does that move us? Do we mourn over that? Do we mourn that the fact that the church is not involved as much as we should be? That there is slavery that exists right here in Lexington and that we ignore it. We turn a blind eye to it and we don't move towards them, the slaves, and free and, and bring freedom and save them and bring salvation Are we moving towards people who mourn? Are we people who mourn because we seek after Jesus? Because we're so focused on Him and His vision for our life that that consumes us? That we, that we do something. That we enter into relationships. That we stop turning a blind eye. On Monday, when you wake up, when you go to work, when you go to school, are you aware of the brokenness that exists around you? Are you aware of it? Or do we simply say, yeah, the world stinks. Yeah, and there's really nothing we can do about it. We can't solve that problem. We can't fix that situation. Do we focus on that or do we focus on God? Do we thank God that he stepped down out of heaven and mended our broken hearts? Do we thank him for that? And then do we join him on mission in response and mend others' broken hearts? To start, I asked you really to picture what a win for you would look like. And a lot of time, our wins in life are defined by our desires. We're, we're just seeking that relaxation or that pat on the back. Or just to catch a breath. Our wins defined by seeking God. You see, when we stop seeking our win and start seeking His win, we win. When we stop seeking our win and start seeking his win, we win. God has come to bind up the brokenhearted. He's come to make hearts whole. And if you're mourning this morning, God says and he promises that you will be comforted. And if you're not mourning, if you're not in that situation, are you entering into relationships bringing God's saving presence to those who are. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. God.